Hi Joe, Arfed here. Uh, just wanted to call in, uh, meaning to be calling you for a, a little while now, just to say how much I'm enjoying listening to you and your brother discussing your hobby. Um, it brings me back memories of me and my brother, and obviously we still game together, so we still chat um, for a long time about ideas and what's good and bad in games, and uh, quite often, you know half hour an hour goes by and we're just chatting away about random stuff so yeah enjoying that so uh looking forward to hearing the both of you again soon and uh keep up the rest of the uh, podcast really enjoying thanks bye thanks buddy that was darren green part of the brothers green uh colin uh, of course spike pit um it, it's kind of cool you know we like doing it together it's uh it's something we're doing every sunday night and uh it's fun. It's just hanging around bullshit. We usually got a you know drink or two or whatever in us and just talking about D and D, just like we used to do back in when we were kids. And you guys sounds like you were the same way. That's probably you know why you might can appreciate the banter that much too. Uh, Tim Shorts actually texted me and he says he he liked the same thing, the brothers banter. So we're just gonna keep it going. You know, it's it's a good time. It's fun, and we're gonna have uh, uh, more of a f- you know focused podcast each time, not just a rambling thing and pick a topic and, and stick to it. I think that's working well. And uh, we're just we'll keep it rolling, and it looks like it's it's becoming more popular than my regular podcast without him. So <laughs> I have to I have to give some of this fucking money that I'm making all of a uh, penny every every listen. I'm up to like eight bucks now, I think total. <laughs> so uh, maybe we hit like fifty bucks a week for beers together. That might be the thing we'll do. Maybe what the hell you know. So thanks very much. And uh, the episode that we uh, that I did today is a little bit different, a little bit special because it's about one one thing. That in the grand scheme of things, in all of D and D, it does may not seem that big, but I think it's awesome. It's uh, Christian Walker's Leviathan. Now I don't know whatever happened to Christian. I don't know where he's at. He's the nicest, coolest, mellow dude. Um, I think he was a surfer, a chef back in the day, and lived in California, and put out this zine. And Eric was Eric Tanker was telling me I was just texting him a little bit as I'm preparing this thing, and he says he thinks Christian had a few zines. This might be his third. Um, I'm not sure. It's the first one I've ever come across, and really the first zine I've ever come across. And so it was just neat for me. I like Christian's ethos and the way he went about it. So without further ado, uh, we'll get into it here. This is the, uh, the, the Leviathan Christian Walker episode, wherein I nominate him for patron saint of all old-school D&D zines. Or any old-school zine, what the hell. All right, here it is, guys. Hey, everybody. Was well, it Joe the Lawyer and my Not So Wondrous Imaginings podcast? I kind of got a special one today, special because of the subject matter, not because I've declared it special. I'm going to talk about Christian Walker's Leviathan zine. Now, I know there's a little bit of zine resurgence going on right now because uh, the whole thing with Kickstarter and, you know, create a zine and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, for me, I didn't never really heard of a zine before Christian Walker started doing Leviathan. Um, Leviathan. I uh, I was never into him and all that, and then I started buying his, and I think his was the first. There was a whole wave of zines in like 11, 12, 13, 2011, 20, 12, 13, and his was the first to really get it going, I think. Everybody got inspired. I think Tim Shorts mentioned the same thing. He was inspired by uh, by Christian Zine, and it's really, it's awesome. I mean, Christian's a cool dude, mellow, chill I think he's a surfer guy. I think he's a chef, or at least he was back then, if I remember right, judging by his pictures off his uh, his webpage. And just a nice guy, you know? And uh, you just want to just chill with him, you know, smoke a joint, have a beer with the guy. 
uh, I would hazard to guess more of a joint than a beer guy. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> just a cool dude. Um, and he, that comes across in his zines. And he wasn't genre-specific in these things. And as I'm reading through them, I have 1 through 13. I think that's all he did. Then he stopped. I, I'd heard somewhere that he tried to get him going again a few years ago, and I, I don't know what happened to him. But I have the original 1 through 13. I think that's all there was in the first run. And... Um, Honestly, I think they were always paper because that was his, his way. You know, he didn't, I don't think he did PDFs of these things. And he didn't make money. I think he actually talked about losing money. But what I'm reading through these again this afternoon, and I'm struck by the content. I'm not going to go over in much depth in terms of the what each uh, uh, article or whatever he put into there. But I wanted to touch more about the introduction. Because in each introduction, it, it brought across a certain flavor, a certain style, a certain understanding of where he was in terms of what he wanted to get out of the zine and, and how he produced it. And, and I, I, you know, what a cool dude. I, I am hereby nominating Christian Walker to be the patron saint of all OSR zines. All right? I said it. I said it. That's it. I, I really, I think he was. I mean, I'll start with number one. I'm just going to, like, look at introductions and look at different things he did in these zines because it was so cool. Um, so it's so damn cool. I won't read every introduction, every bit, but uh, he says basically uh, he's going to start a Pathfinder Forgotten Realms campaign, and uh, he wanted to build uh, some content for it, and he wanted to get prepared, so he says this is the zine is sort of a byproduct of that, and he's on the subject of zines, I've been inspired to start writing zines again. I have written zines for many years, but took a long break when I started a game blog called Destination Unknown. That was a, a great blog. While blogging has been a very interesting experience, it's also been one marked with a great deal of conflict. There's a quiet industry that I appreciate about zines. It's an effort that requires a great deal of diligence. Sadly, a zine can often exist in a void. When posting to a blog, comments and page views are guaranteed. This is not so with a zine. However, I am stubborn, and even though the age of zines has long passed, I still want to press on. I cling to a naive hope that someday people will tire of Twitter, Facebook, in web forums and will once again look to their mailboxes as a source of occasional stimulation and communication. And it's signatures, peace, Christian. And that's that's pretty much how he goes about the... <laughs> that sums up, you know, in, in an overview, all of his approach to, to the way he does these zines. And what I liked about the first ones in particular were uh, the first few. He, uh, he has advertisements from the old days. Page five of D number one is an advertisement for the old traveler. He just look, he just cut it out of an old magazine and you know pasted it in here, and uh, then he has a map of Baldur's Gate, which he clearly stole <laughs> from some official TSR publication, and uh, uh, a little advertisement for Bushido, uh, role playing adventure in feudal Japan. Uh, <laughs> God, I remember seeing those advertisements in the old Dragon magazines. And then there's one for Aftermath from Fantasy Games Unlimited. And the very back cover has an old TSR advertisement for uh, Star Frontiers. So that's just, that's just kind of neat. He just, just dropped them in because what the hell he could, you know? And the art on the covers are always really good on these things. Um, each cover until the last four are a different color. Um, lavender, yellow, orange, gray, blue, green, whatever. And then the last four are just all white. But uh, just did a good job. And the content, again, just creative and different, you know? 
and it's not in any sort of module format, you know, and but they're you got the big ass <laughs> Pathfinder stat blocks going on here, taking up full pages. Um, some handmade art, you can tell on page nine, there's hand drawn, copied into here. Uh, looks like on uh, yellow rule paper or something maybe, and then you got some uh, some looks like some art that was done with a computer program, you know, just good stuff. Now looking at number two, like I said, I'm gonna hit the intros because I think the intros are the most important thing, especially considering I'm nominating him for um, patron saint of the OSR, and it gets his ethos here. He talks about pricing of zines. He breaks it down, and basically he says he's losing money on every zine. <laughs> so he don't care. Three bucks a zine. You know, I don't know if he charged shipping handling or not. I'm not quite sure. Um, but he, the cost to print and everything, he broke it all down. And basically he, he says, I lose a buck forty nine each subscription. <laughs> so, but then he gets into something freaking cool. He says, money is not the only way to acquire the zine, though. It should never be. If someone only takes cash for the zine and refuses to accept either stamps, by that he means like postage stamps, trades, or in the case of prisoners or military, a letter, then I think they are missing the point of zines. In the past, I have received such awesome trades. The Forgotten Realms material in this issue was inspired by a Realms box set and a copy of Forgotten Realms Adventures that were sent to me. In the end, it costs money to print and mail a zine. Hell, it costs money to accept money to print and mail a zine. I guess because PayPal, whoever takes some. However, I don't want anyone's economic situation to keep them from being on the mailing list. I think a good zine makes room for everyone. Peace, Christian. See? Cool freaking dude, man. Cool dude. And then we got stuff in here is all looks like related to Pathfinder and whatnot. Um, advertisement for Gen Con 9 with special guest Fritz, Fritz Leiber, 1976. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got in here. You got some pictures in here because he's uh, he he broke down some for World of Darkness. He does a lot of different stuff. Like I said, Pathfinder, and this is a World of Darkness thing. And he's uh, pictures is from Santa Fina. I don't know if he he must have surfed there and knows the area because I think these pictures they're beautiful. They're black and white because of the black and white zine, but they're nice pictures. An old Victorian house, a gray misty coastline, breathtaking in its beauty, and they are nice. The recession hit it hard south of the river, especially, and then there's a picture of a rundown building, and you know then there's some GURP stuff in there. There's an advertisement for Car Wars from Steve Jackson Games, and it wraps it up, 24 pages, and then uh, an advertisement on a very bad cover. Your dad was at level 22 Necromancer, D&D game, and they're showing a 12-sided dice there instead of a 20-sider. It's everybody knows a 20-sider is the the die for D&D, but in this advertisement, I guess the 12. Um, number three, all right, first advertisement of uh, real, you know, current times. Um, we have Crater Mountain Games put an advertisement in there on the very back cover, so I guess the uh, the suggestive selling of, hey, I could stick ads in here, it could, it could work. Hopefully made some money to, you know, help recoup the losses, um, so that's kind of cool. Then his intro in this one is, I've been asked a few questions about the zine, so I thought I'd use this month's intro as a forum to answer them. Like many gamers that came up in the 80s, I ogled the illustration of Leviathar in the deities of Demigod's book. My decision to name the zine after her stems from a gaming experience that occurred in 1993-1994. At the time, two friends and I were playing 
an AD&D 2E campaign set in Waterdeep. On one occasion, there was a random encounter featuring a cleric of Leviathar and her two minions. I recall that the cleric pulled out her cat of nine tails and whipped the shit out of the PCs. <laughs> Fast forward many years, and I am once again at the helm of a Forgotten Realms campaign. With fond memories of that Waterdeep experience in mind, I named the zine Leviathar. I will let you know if the campaign features any floggings. On the subject of PDF copies of Leviathar, I am firmly committed to print. Good job, buddy. Good for you. I have published PDF zines in the past, but felt that the process was too impersonal. That's what I feel about it, too. I could see that hundreds of copies were being downloaded, but I had no idea who was doing so. There was seldom any feedback, and it didn't offer the same experience as producing a print product. Finally, I have been asked if I will accept submissions. I feel that a zine's identity comes from the personality of its creator and should reflect his or her ideas, visions, and quirks. In that respect, a zine is an extension of the writer. Accepting submissions changes that, moving the zine author from the role of creator into the job of editor. There is a risk that the zine could lose its focus and identity. However, I don't want to close the door on the possibility of a regular columnist or an occasional contributor. For now, though, I prefer to keep Leviathar as a one-man show. Peace, Christian. And then he's, uh, he gets into the zine itself. We got some Pathfinder stuff. We got some World of Darkness stuff. It's amazing. You got like three pages of Pathfinder. Two of them are taken up by stat blocks. Fucking Pathfinder, man. Um, then we got another ad for Creative Mountain Games in here. And uh, let's see. This one goes 24 pages as well. Um, we got a Planescape, a little, little section in Planescape there. Um, a little advertising for the, the dove.blogspot.com. Never heard of that one. That was never on my radar. Um, another advertisement. So, yeah. So it's growing. It's getting some advertisements. It's like uh, an old-fashioned Nosferatu vampire type on the cover of this one. All right. Number four. All right, number four. Where we got here? Uh, this one. This will not... <laughs> there will not be any further Pathfinder material in this zine. Well, not for a while, at least. It's best to avoid the term never, since never is a very long time. In the past year or two, I have tried very hard to wrap my mind around Pathfinder and 4E. I think it's important to remain flexible and to be open to new ideas. But I have to accept that perhaps I am not the target demographic. Amen, brother. To illustrate this, I'd like to share a recent conversation from my game table. Here it is. I want my fighter to take a level of bard. Cool. Is this a roleplay decision? Are you going to be some kind of a warrior poet? Huh? Nah, I need an arcane spellcaster level for a prestige class. Oh, but why bard? Good skills and access to healing magic. So this is a metagaming decision? Uh, yeah. What struck me was that, of course, it was a metagaming decision. Duh. That's how the new games are designed. If you weren't optimizing and maxing, you're setting yourself up to fail. Further, you must optimize so you don't let down your fellow players who are relying upon you to select feats, spells, and classes that complement their own. I may have to take a wee break from gaming as a result, but I think that I need to tell the guys with whom I currently play that i rather run some 2E, Labyrinth Order, something that fits with my old man's sensibilities. None of that should be surprising, coming from a guy who still writes letters and publishes a print zine. Peace, Christian. <laughs> we got GURPS. Uh, we got a uh, GURPS thing going on in here. We have, uh, let's see, Planescape thing. Let's jump back to Planescape. This guy, his diversity of games that he plays is something else. I was always a D&D player. I was never back big into anything other than D&D. I think we tried... Role Master, I mean, I think only because we had done, um, at some point, uh, the old Lord of the Rings, I think was based on the Role Master thing, but it was so fucking complicated, we never did it. Um, yeah, so that's it. Alright, now we got number five. Alright, what's so cool about, ah, let me go back, let me go back, yeah, number five here, alright. 
what's so cool about this one, all right, listen to this. I'm writing this on November 6th. The sun set an hour earlier. It rained this morning. There's a fire in the fireplace, and I'm watching The Walking Dead. Not bad, not bad at all. It also happens to be a Sunday. Usually we game on Sunday, but we've hit a few potholes in our schedule. Man, gaming on a cold, drizzly Sunday is the best. Oh, well, maybe next week. Recently, I bought my first smartphone, an Android. For a long time, I was against the whole idea of mobile computing. Why do I need to be able to check Facebook on my phone? Well, I guess you could call me a convert. I've owned the phone for just a week, and I'm hooked. When I'm stuck in a meeting, I can see what the gamers are up to on Google+. Remember that? Google+, Plus is dying off now. As I do the dishes, I can listen to music via Pandora. Um, one thing I quickly discovered with my phone was the ability to scan QR codes. QR codes are a way to encode text, links, and even images in a kind of barcode. Just for fun, I've embedded a few QR codes in this issue. Now, he keeps doing this for every issue after this. I hope that they provide a bit of fun and mystery. Think of them as magical glyphs. If you don't have a smartphone, send me an email, and I'll provide you with all the hidden goodies. So basically what he did was he just copied a QR code into the zine, and it's it's not related, at least in the earlier ones, to anything. So on page 8, there's a QR code. So I take my phone, I scan a thing. All right, let's see. You just open up your camera and you aim it at it, and it figures out what the hell it is. And then it says, open cookanddestroy.com in Safari. So I go to click on yes. Sadly, some of these things don't exist anymore. Um, the website is down or whatever, so Cook and Destroy isn't there anymore. Um, but there is another one, I think, in this issue. Yeah, on page 14. Let me see. Now this one is a little funky because it starts off, it looks at it, and it says scenicreflections.com. Open that in Safari is the question. You click on it, and it's got a redirect, so I guess someone took over the thing so uh, and redirected it. But I would have loved to have seen what he thought was a nice picture, because it sounds like with Scenic Reflections, it was like a nice picture to something or another. Um, so that's that's number five. Get into number six here. Let's see what the intro is. All right. Six months ago, I decided that airing opinions about role-playing games was a waste of time. I wish I understood that a long time ago, too. I would have uh, saved myself a lot of grief and gray hair. That realization was preceded by a lot of pontificating on my part. I think that I was growing quite fond of sharing my views on, on proper play style. Man, I love to tell people they were doing it wrong. This, of course, resulted in some pretty epic blog battles. Again, what a waste of time. Obviously, I still have opinions when it comes to games. However, I try to keep my ranting and raving confined to the pages of this rack. Instead of telling you what I don't like, I'm trying to share with you what I do like. What a good approach to it, you know? Instead of bitching and complaining, make up something that you do like and let that be your example of what you want it to be. I hope that the last six months have been worthwhile. I tried hard to keep the zine on a regular production schedule. Print quality, readability, and value are important to me, and I hope I haven't wasted anyone's time or money. I really appreciate your support and hope that you'll stick around for another six months. On a final note, this scene includes the first installment of a new series of articles fueled by Chaosium's basic role-playing game. Sadly, I've never played Call of Cthulhu, Wealth Quest, Pendragon, or any other Chaosium game. I hope that the process of reading and creating material for BRP addresses that gap in my experience. The new series called This Is LA is going to be based in my hometown. It will feature NPCs, monsters, and locations for a modern campaign heavily influenced by sci-fi and fantasy. I hope you enjoy it. Peace, Christian. And actually, he signed this one. No shit. I didn't notice that until just now. He actually signed it um, and, you know, autograph and put the date next to it. And throughout the magazine, what I like is that there's a lot of real pictures of L.A. in here. Um, 
Now, what he also did, I forgot to mention this, in, in zine number five, he started a hex crawl series. He's, he's doing one hex per magazine for a zine. So in, in this one, he does hex two. All right, so he, he'll drop hex two in here, and uh, it, it just expands and puts it next to hex one where it is in relation and all that kind of stuff. And again, like I promised, there's also a little tiny URL here, a uh, little little glyph. You pick, you aim your phone at the glyph, and up comes a YouTube video this time, and it is the worst ever cover of the final countdown. Listen to that shit. Yeah, sucks balls. And there's some chodes out there playing in the middle of nowhere, some happy stage. Lousy. Anyway, that's the, uh, <laughs> so you got sound effects in this podcast. Uh, so that's this one. Uh, another another little uh, tiny URL thing. Hex 2 is there. And some good art. Um, really good art. So I kind of like it. And then there's another thing for Vampire the Requiem. I like how he mixes everything up here. You know? He, uh, he takes little bits and pieces, all the different game systems, and he takes inspiration from each game system that he's playing and puts it into whatever he wants to do. So he's not really limited in any sense of the word, you know, by what games he's playing. He just takes inspiration from everywhere, which is kind of neat. Okay, so Leviathar 7. Uh, let's see what we got going on here. Introduction. At the time of this writing, D&D 5th edition has been announced. Okay, and so we're at February 2012. Um, you know, he says so... Basically, he's hoping it's a wild success because what's good for D&D is good for the hobby. I do have some concerns, though. With each iteration of D&D, I feel like I'm being left even further behind. It's hard enough to find old-school players as it is. I worry that yet another edition will lead to further fragmentation of the hobby. I guess I'll just have to wait and see. I'm happy to say he was a little bit wrong on that, and it's brought a lot more people into it. Um, he says, this issue is entirely hex-based. As I was writing, the article just seemed to grow and grow until it taken over entirely. Uh, if you are using the Hexcross series of articles, you may want to think about ways to augment the XP award system and give some different options there. So it's all, again, all Hexcross stuff. Okay? And, you know, 24 pages, pretty standard, looks like. Uh, decent little pictures and drawings, and, and it's a nice deal. It's a nice deal. Cover art and interior illustrations by J. Penn, Goblin Lair Map by M.S. Jackson, Proofreading Matthew Logan. Um, and he's got, a, he's got a good deal here. Okay. Let's see, number eight. Uh, he talks about liking 5e. He gave it a shot, played it, and it was pretty good. Um, so he says, What I love ex love writing the hexes and ex slowly expanding the borders of the sandbox, I don't want Leviatar to be all hexes all the time. Diversity of content is important to me since I think what help it helps with my overall creativity. Nonetheless, I'm goofy for this hex scroll. My head is bursting with ideas. In other news, I've had a chance to review the initial 5e playtest, and he really he says he really likes what he's seeing. Um, and he find, finishes with, Thank you for all the reviews of your blogs, Google Plus posts, and tweets. This rag has no advertising budget, so its growth is based solely upon your efforts. It's amazing how powerful word of mouth can be. I really appreciate it. Until next time, Christian. And again, yeah, a lot more uh, all hex crawl. This one is all hex crawl all the time. Um, so... Listen, getting into number nine here. Lots of World of Darkness stuff in this one. So, uh, let's see. And this is an intro that's actually pretty interesting. It says, I don't like the strip players of their agency. Players certainly don't like this either. I find that most players would rather see their characters killed than captured, stripped and marched off to captivity. With that in mind, I struggled while working on the knockers. 
tunnels, the knocker tunnels near the end of this issue. Drawing heavily upon Changeling the Lost for inspiration, the tunnels beneath the Leaning Tower are infused with fey magic by the otherworldly creatures that toil there. Before they step into the place, PCs will sense they're entering a realm far different from their own. If they proceed, they will be giving up a fair amount of free will. This is a hard scenario for me to craft as PCs enjoy the ability to determine left, right, straight ahead, or retreat in a dungeon. None of those options are present in this situation. Hell, PCs will not even be able to track the passage of time or control their own memories, much less direction. Relying upon the World of Darkness version of Arcadia, with the true Fey rule with absolute reality warping authority, I have presented the dungeon as a series of scenes. Each is bizarre, provides some context as to how one scene is connected to the next, and offers limited exercise of free will. The scenes will impress upon the party that they have lost much in the way of time, sanity, and volition. It might be a hard scenario to execute, but I want PCs to exit the experience with the realization that their reality is not the only one that will be encountered in this setting. Again, drawing upon the world of darkness, I'd like to eventually create ways for PCs to be able to function in that kind of environment, being able to shape reality to their own needs, and to be nonplussed by the Fae that attempt to manipulate them. I'm going to read this. I haven't read it yet, the content, or I haven't read it in years, but first I'm going to smoke a big fat one before I, because that's that's just going to be required, I think, just based on what the hell he says there. So uh, I think it's going to be fucking cool. Um, all right, so <clears throat> number 10 was cool because there's a lot, a lot of photos in here. It's a World of Darkness uh, thing again. A Lonely Dance on a Cold Northern Shore, Part 4, Vampire the Requiem. So he's continuing um, the series. And he's got pictures in here, like photographs, of a woman, a couple of different ones. She's kind of hot, i got to say. I hope that's his girlfriend. If so, man, good for you, dude. Lucky you. Anyways, intro. Los Angeles is so lame. I recently attempted to run the hex crawl, and it was a miserable failure. One player, who was a fate fanatic, fate the end of the game, complained that there was no context to provide him enough background on which to build a complex, detailed character. A second declared there was nothing to do. A third decided that it would be fun to avoid all the key areas and to run about with no purpose at all save for murder. Following that disaster, I hosted a 10-person meet-and-greet to interview new players. My regular players were there, too, even the guy who only shows up so that he can constantly talk about the game he wants to run. The vetting session was rare. I don't like combat. If you play d and I'll play a magic user. When a fight breaks out, I'll cast my one spell and zone out. Another guy. I like Dread because it features Jenga. Maybe it's should just play Jenga instead because I really don't like rules. Another guy. Call of Cthulhu. Sounds great. It's always fun to see how fast we can blow up the Keeper's campaign by going insane and shooting everything up. Another guy. I expect you to attend every session I run when I get a turn to GM. And since we gave me your house, it's not an issue, but I can't guarantee regular attendance when you run something. <laughs> the fuck? I showed everyone to the door after two hours and felt terribly uninspired. When I cleaned up, I discovered a pubic hair on the vanity in the guest bathroom. How did someone get pubic hair in my sink? My patience it has left the building. I hope you enjoy the contents of this issue. They are fairly at odds with one another in regards to tone, system, and style. I guess it's fitting given my own contentious relationship with the hobby at the moment. Until next time, Christian. And you got, like I said, the Vampire of the Masquerade. You got, you got some tree-looking dude who wants to kill someone. Looks like an orc. Um, and let's see. J. Penn, illustrator, wants to draw stuff for you. This is on the back cover. So it's a dude pimping himself. I don't know who J. Penn is. I don't know if he ever made a, a, 
I think for himself, but his email address is here. GiantKillerJ, J-A-Y, GiantKillerJ, all one word, at yahoo.com.au. So you can email the guy, you know, ten, ten years later, five or five, or five years later, say your ad worked, buddy. <laughs> um, Eleven. All right. This is kind of neat what he does here. This is really, really kind of cool. Let me hit the, uh, the intro here. This scene is about imaginary people in the make-believe places where they live. Additionally, Leviathar focuses on how the personalities and locales in each issue are connected. In the pursuit of these goals, system is irrelevant. For example, I hold the storytelling system in basic D&D in equal regard. It is my goal to fill each issue with personalities, and then I will use whatever tool I need in order to do a job. I feel the need to state this because I don't think I've ever been clear about what I'm trying to do with this rag. When you read Hex 7, oh, when you read Hex 7 in this issue, don't look for dungeons. You will not find the kind of plot hook that will lead PCs from encounter to encounter unless they have a, until they have a boss fight at the end. Simply enjoy the scenery. Meet the locals. Connect the dots between the hexes. I'm not trying to write a module. I'm creating a place where my imagination freely wanders. I hope yours will, too. This issue also presents an NPC for a series of articles that has been nagging me for a while. I've been picturing a seaside town and its inhabitants in my mind's eye, but I had struggled to select game mechanics of which to fuel it. I considered Call of Cthulhu, storytelling fate in GURPS, and the end of starting GURPS. The new series of articles can best be described as modern fantasy. Here's the cool freaking thing. With each NPC, I will include a song that you can find on YouTube via this QR code. So, he says, I hope that if you read each NPC and listen to his or her soundtrack with your eyes closed, then they will be just as alive in your imagination as they are in mine. How fucking cool is that? So, as he drops an NPC into this thing, right, he puts a little QR code to set the mood as to uh, this is this guy's personal soundtrack. And so, let me see, This there's one for Charles, all right, and he watches the rain dance on the ocean, and there's a little QR thing here. All right, let me let me look at it. Open it in YouTube. Uh, let's see. Hopefully, there's one here for it. Oh, don't have this. The one that had the error. Oh, my bad, my bad. Okay, I knew there was one with the error. I just wonder which one it was. All right, let me look because I know there was one that was kind of neat. All right, where? Come on, come on, come on. I need page turning music. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, you know what? It might be in the next issue. I'll play it in the next issue. but And just think about that idea, though. How neat is that, that you sit there and you say, each NPC that I'm putting in here also has a soundtrack, and you click on this, and you're combining the beauty of this old magazine, you know, a zine, the old format of a zine, with actual high-tech shit, YouTube, except if YouTube deleted the, uh, the actual thing. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see, page. Here we go. There's the next one. Leviatar 12, which is the next one. This is the uh, the kind of thing here that we're talking about. It says, setting the mood. Scan the QR, type the URL into your browser. Put in your earbuds. Imagine Cambria and Gerald as they walk along a forest path at night. The moon is large in the sky, and Gerald, for a few precious hours, feels alive and free. Cambria listens to the singer's voice and wonders if she will ever be beautiful, confident and free of her dad's mania. All right, and so you have that, and then it's like listen to the song basically as you're imagining the scene. And this song is called Phantogram, it's by Phantogram, and it's called When I'm Small. 
Kind of neat, you know? Really kind of neat. Just freaking creative and, and just chill and mellow. And there we got some more pictures in here uh, for a whole lonely dance on a cold northern shore, part five. Um, it's a story. Just a story with different uh, stat blocks for Vampire the Masquerade. All right, and then looking at number 13. Uh, let's see. This is the final one. And I don't know if he knew it was going to be the final one or what, but he did a year and a month. Um, let's see, his final introduction here. This issue did not come together as easily as I would have liked. That is finished, I really feel as if the hard work was worth it. As I reported on the Leviatar site, the bulk of this issue was written during a haze of painkillers as I recovered from a second surgery on my beanbag. <laughs> I guess the Percocet explains my decision to feel this month's content with Lords of Creation. Has anyone... Has anything ever been written for Lords of Creation in the past 20 years? I don't even know what Lords of Creation is, but apparently Tom Moldvay was involved. Because the next paragraph starts, I love Tom Moldvay's work when he was with TSR. His iteration of the basic D&D remains one of my favorite all-time role-playing games. That probably comes as no surprise in light of the hex crawl I've been working on. Tom's work on Lords of Creation is also inspirational, but it does have its flaws. It's hard for me to admit, but Lords of Creation is a mess when it comes to mechanics and playability. Uh, then he goes into the Queen of Las Vegas, which is a thing in here. This is my attempt to make some sense of it. I tried to approach Lords of Creation as if I were playing them in the world of darkness. I wanted to establish a common gathering place and, and interesting NPCs and scenario seeds. Hope I succeed in providing you with a starting point for a Lords of Creation campaign. I may not have done it the right way, but at the very least, I hope it's coherent and entertaining. And so that's, that's how it ends. Um, just cool dude. So that's the entire run of Leviathar. And I think just by, like I said, reading the introductions, and as you looked at, uh, compared to the content, you get a sense of what this guy was all about and why he liked scenes so much and what he tried to get across in his style, his presentation. And, damn, I want to do something like that. I'm going to do something like that. Uh, I think it's just cool. I think it's just cool. All right. So anyhow, I will uh, sign off for now, and then I have some more zines. I went in through a zine purchasing spree, so I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on some of them. I got a bunch of bunch of ones here. Let me see. I got Zogarion, Lord of the Hippogriffs, a mini adventure by Jason Schultes. I got a bunch of stuff from Crawl. Uh, uh, I think it was this Crawl Jammer. I got the Metal Gods of Urharadad. I got a few things. I got like five of the manor zines from Tim Shorts. I got Crawl number one, number two, number three. Now those are DCC ones, and I got Crawl number four. Then I got a little mini adventure. Where is Margish Blackblood by Tim Shorts? And uh, The Mini Manor by Tim Shorts. <laughs> so I'm going to touch base on those uh, next time. I'll do another podcast on these. But I think for now you got the gist of it. I like it and where, where, uh, where I like to see my own thing go because I do want to do a Z. It's my. I guess ambition someday to have something in writing that lasts, outlasts me. You know, whether it's a book, a magazine article, a zine, or something like that. Because the blogs, eh, fuck that shit, it comes and goes. That's nothing. You know, you delete it. You get it. They just disappear in the ether, you know. But the zine, I would love to have somebody walk into a used bookstore 40 years from now, you know, and, or 50 or 100 years from now, and see this thing on the shelf and say, what the hell is this? Who wrote that? Who was he? You know, it's interesting, and then you take some inspiration from it long after I'm gone. 
I don't have kids, you know. I don't have any sort of legacy like that, so that would be my thing. If my ideas and my ideals or, you know, something like that outlasted me would be really kind of fucking cool. Anyway, I'm signing off, guys. Have a good one.